Hi, this is Tim Lehart. And this is Debbie Lehart. And you're, you're listening, listening to Word of Hope Christian, Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. Hi, everyone, and welcome once again. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas, and this is Sunday, July 9th, and this is your Sunday Sermon. Recently, I came across a book from an author and pastor. His name is Mark Batterson. It's called Win the Day. It was an amazing read, and it made me think a lot about a lot of different aspects of my life. I never really considered myself a dreamer, let alone a big dreamer. I don't know why exactly, but it could be that I didn't know where to start, or maybe I just wanted to play it safe. Oh, me of little faith. But this book offered me an opportunity to imagine how much better my life would be if, instead of obsessing over the past or worrying about the future, I set out to win today, to harness the power of 24 hours every day. So a sermon series was born, and it's called, as the title of the book says, Win the Day. And here's what we're going to do. Over the next seven weeks, we're going to unpack seven habits that will help you stress less and accomplish more. Today we begin with part one, titled Flip the Script, and the whole idea here is that if you want to change your life, you have to change your story. It's going to be a great journey, so let's go. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord God, open our hearts and minds to receive your word today in this brand new series. Help us to understand what winning the day is all about. Thank you for all of this, in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen and Amen. On April 20, 1913, Sir William Osler delivered a speech at Yale University. It was a simple message. I'll give you the Cliff Notes version in four words. Live in daytight, one word, daytight compartments. Live in daytight compartments. In other words, it is the practice of living for the day only and for the day's work. That's easier said than done, but if you can pull it off, if you can put it into practice, it's the solution to a thousand problems. According to psychologists Matthew Killingsworth and Daniel Gilbert, the average person spends 46.9% of their time thinking about something other than what they're doing in the present moment. In other words, we're living in the wrong time zone. We're depressed about the past. We're worried about the future. We're distracted. We're frustrated. We're overwhelmed by this thing and that thing. We're half present half the time, which means we're half alive. The only way to be fully alive is to be fully present, and the only way to be fully present is to, you guessed it, live in daytight compartments. This is not just a good idea, my friends. This is a God idea. Give us this day our daily bread. Take up your cross daily. This is the day the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it. His mercies are new every morning. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't worry about tomorrow. Do you see the common thread through all of that? Here's the bottom line. Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. Our job is to win the day. That's it. Now, I have no idea what goal you're going after right now, what problem you're trying to solve, what habit you're trying to break or build, but I know the secret to your success. It is going to happen one day at a time. You will win the day, and then you have to get up and do it all over again the next day. Let me plant a little seed of faith right here. Almost anyone can accomplish almost anything if they work hard at it long enough, hard enough, and smart enough. You are capable of more than you can imagine. How do I know this? Because as Ephesians 3.20 says, God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. That said, 
75% of the New Year's resolutions fail within the first month. Why? When you think in a one-year timeline, it's overwhelming. You feel like quitting before you even start. So here's the question, and we'll keep coming back to it during this series. Pick a habit, any habit. Can you do it for a day? You have to take your life goals and reverse engineer them into daily habits. Here's the good news. The only ceiling on your intimacy with God and impact on the world is daily spiritual disciplines. If you meet with God every day, he's going to show up and show off. Now open your Bible or Bible app to Genesis chapter 50 verse 20, the main text for today. Now before we zoom in, let me zoom out a minute. Vladimir Lenin once said, and I quote, There are decades when nothing happens, and there are weeks when decades happen, end quote. So to take this a bit farther, there are days when decades happen. Do you understand that? Having said that, let me say this. You just can't flip the calendar and expect everything to change. You have to flip the script. In the science of cybernetics, there's two kinds of change. What's called first order change and second order change. First order change is behavioral. It's doing something more or less. If you're trying to lose weight, eating less and exercising more are steps in the right direction. First order change can facilitate a quick fix, but second order change passes the test of time. Second order change is conceptual. It's mind over matter. And that's where the magic happens. Everything is created twice. The first creation is mental. It's internal. The second creation is physical. It's external. Everything was once a thought, and that includes you. You don't just bear God's image. You are his idea. You are his workmanship. You are a unique expression of God's imagination. To see yourself as anything less is to believe a lie. And if I can just stop right there for a moment. I used to believe that lie, and I have been working hard even into this life right up until today to believe that I am who I am because that's what God created me to be. I am in his image. I am a unique expression of his imagination. It takes work, folks. Some of us maybe a little bit more than others, but you can get there. And thanks to his word and his presence in my life to be able to make that change. There never has been and never will be anybody like you. Have you ever heard that? Well, I'm telling you today, this is not a testament to you. It's a testament to the God who created you. The significance is this. No one can worship God like you or for you. No one can serve God like you or for you. We tend to think of habits as external exercises that increase proficiency or productivity. It's practicing scales. It's practicing skills. Those external habits will pay dividends, no doubt. But the biggest returns on investment are the internal habits that no one sees. It's your internal monologue. It's the way you explain your experiences to yourself. It's the stories you tell yourself day in and day out. Some people call this self-talk. Sometimes it's negative, sometimes positive. On average, about 60,000 thoughts fire across our synapses every single day. According to a study done by the Cleveland Clinic, 80% of those thoughts are negative. Houston, we have a problem. The problem is our stinking thinking. The writer of Proverbs says in Proverbs 23, 7, For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Your thoughts have a psychological and physiological effect. Your thoughts have the power to lower your blood pressure, slow your pulse, and boost your immunity. Or they can do the exact opposite. The battle is won or lost in your mind. Either way, the stories you tell yourself are far more important than the situations you find yourself in. That's when and where and how we flip the script. With this backdrop, 
Let's talk a little bit about Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Let me set the scene for you. When Joseph was a teenager, he had a dream, a dream that his brothers would one day come bow down to him. He makes the mistake of telling his brothers about the dream. They were so upset by this that they fake his death and sell him into slavery. Life goes from bad to worse for Joseph, and he ends up in prison for a crime he did not commit. If anybody could have played the victim card, it's Joseph. But this isn't the story Joseph narrates to himself. Long story short, Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream. Pharaoh puts his signet ring on Joseph's finger and makes him second in command. Thirteen years after selling him into slavery, his brothers come knocking on his door begging for food because of a famine. Genesis 43:28 says his brothers bow down before him. I can only imagine what Joseph must have thought, what he must have felt. It's a day when decades happen. The vision he had at 17, the vision that went off the rails, the vision that took a wrong turn, the vision that seemed so far away, the vision that doesn't seem possible, that vision is fulfilled in this moment. This is the day when decades happen. All right, chapter 50, verse 20. It's like a time-lapse video. Joseph looks back on all the ups and downs, all the pain and suffering, all the twists and turns, and this is what he said. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Folks, may God give us 50-20 vision, if you will. Let me make this as simple as one, two, three. If you want to flip the script of your life, you've got to get three things. Number one, you have to know your name. Number two, you have to fix your focus. And number three, you have to change your story. First up, let's talk about you have to know your name. More than a century ago, Charles Horton Cooley, founder of the American Sociological Association, said, and I quote, I am not what I think I am, and I am not what you think I am. I am what I think you think I am. Now, maybe that sounds a little bit confusing, kind of like a mind bender type thing, but I bet for some of you, it sounds vaguely familiar. I actually remember studying this concept dozens of years ago in my first college sociology class. Cooley called it the looking glass self, and it's based on how we see ourselves through the eyes of other people. Our sense of self comes from lots of different sources. Sometimes it's as simple as someone saying you're good at this or bad at that. Either way, it's letting other people narrate your story. It's living your life according to their expectations. So it's critical for us to take our cues from scripture. Why? Scripture is the answer. It's our answer. In James chapter 1, verses 22 to 25, it says, But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Folks, this is where we discover who we are in the eyes of God. This is how we know our name. This is how we flip the script. Let me dive back into Joseph's story from Genesis. After playing a few mind games with his brothers, which I think is totally justified, Joseph finally reveals his identity. In Genesis 45 verse 3, he says, I am Joseph. Now we usually read right past this, but Joseph knows his name. Well, of course he knows his name. It's his name. Not so fast. Fun fact, when Pharaoh makes Joseph second in command, he doesn't just give him his signet ring, he gives him an Egyptian name, Zephanath Peniah. It would have been easy for Joseph to forget who he was with that new name. If you allow it, 
Culture will name you or tame you. It will label you. It will define you. Cancel culture will chew you up and spit you out. You have to know who you are, beloved. You have to know whose you are. We need to know our name. You need to know your name. And if you're wondering, here's who you are in Christ. You are blessed. You are chosen. You are blameless. You are adopted by the Heavenly Father. You are redeemed by Christ. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And you are stamped with the image of God. Simply put, you are who God says you are. And if you want to flip the script, you need to know your name. Next, you have to fix your focus. Have you ever heard the saying, your focus determines your reality? This is what Qui-Gong said to Luke Skywalker in one of the Star Wars movies. But this is more than a Jedi mind trick. This is Philippians 4.8, which says, Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Why? Your focus will determine your reality. If you're looking for an excuse, you're always going to find one. If you're looking for something to be grateful for, you'll find it. This is a concept in psychology called cognitive reappraisal. It's telling yourself a different story about what's happening. And Joseph is exhibit A. Joseph could have played the victim card, right? He also could have played God and even the score with his brothers, but he doesn't do either of those things. Why? Because he's got a God's eye view. Dr. Martin Seligman, former president of the American Psychological Association, once said that all of us have what he calls an explanatory style. Seligman says that, quote, explanatory style is the manner in which you habitually explain to yourself why events happen, end quote. It's those explanations, not the experiences themselves, in other words, that make us or break us. What is Joseph's explanatory style? It's Genesis 50, verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. There was a meme that circulated on social media at the end of 2020. It's called the 2020 dumpster fire. I would encourage you to look it up. It's pretty funny when you see it. But it's the wrong explanation, actually. 2020 was not a dumpster fire. It was a refiner's fire. And what comes out of a refiner's fire is always more pure, more precious, more valuable. Why? It's been refined by the touch of the master's hand. The prophet Malachi asked a series of questions in Malachi 3, verses 2 and 3. He asked, But who will be able to endure it when he comes? Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? For he will be like a blazing fire that refines metal, or like a strong soap that bleaches clothes. He will sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross. So how do we fix our focus? The short answer is fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. I love that moment in Matthew 14 when Peter gets out of the boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee in the middle of the night. That takes a ton of faith. But here's the deal. If you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. Here's what happens. He gets out of the boat because he's focused on Jesus and Jesus walks on water. He's simply doing what he's seeing. That's what following Jesus is all about. Then Peter loses focus. He starts focusing on the wind and the waves. That's when he starts to sink. Now, there are a couple of easy applications that come to mind right here. First one is, have you ever kept a gratitude journal? I would encourage you, keep a gratitude journal. One of the simplest ways to fix your focus is to keep a gratitude journal. It will sanctify what's called your reticular activating system, the part of the brain that determines what we notice and what we don't. We don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. 
All of this to simply say, your explanations are more important than your experiences. Number two, a change of pace plus a change of place equals a change of perspective. The key to spiritual growth is routine, but once the routine becomes routine, you have to change the routine. It's the law of what's called requisite variety. Every year I download a Bible reading plan thanks to the folks at Uversion. I also change translations. Why? It makes my synapses fire in a little different way. Last year I read the English Standard Version, which I absolutely love. This year I'm back to the New Living Translation. It's a change of pace for me. There are lots of ways to put this into practice. You can do a silent retreat. You can practice meditation. Fasting is a fantastic way to flip the script. And a third application is read old books. I know that might sound a little corny, but follow this. Ivan Pavlov once said, if you want new ideas, read old books. Well, I enjoy biographies. Why? Because they help me see my life from a different perspective. That said, no book is older, no book is better and wiser than the Bible. It gives us a God's eye view of who we are and how we relate to God. The Jewish theologian Abraham Herschel said that prophecy is the, quote, exegesis of existence from a divine perspective, end quote. That's so good. It's so true. He also said this, in decisive hours of history, it dawns upon us that we would not trade certain lines in the book of Isaiah for the seven wonders of the world. Now, I'm not sure if Herschel is referring to the seven wonders of the ancient world or the seven wonders of the natural world. Either way, though, Herschel is saying this. During times of crisis, we need to get a word from God. Scripture is our plumb line. Scripture is our anchor line. Scripture is our lifeline. And that brings me to the third way to flip your script. And that is this. You have to change your story. According to a study done by Emory University, the best predictor of a child's emotional well-being is not getting them into a great school. It's not giving them lots of hugs and kisses. It's not about taking them on a pilgrimage to Disney World. It's not even about watching Pixar films. According to these researchers from the Emory University, the number one indicator of emotional well-being, drum roll, here it is, it's a child knowing their family history. Say what? Here's what I know for sure. All of us are born into someone else's story. We all have a family of origin, and that is our Genesis story. Our children were born into our story. I was born into my parents' story. My parents were born into their parents, my grandparents' story. For better or for worse, all of us are born into someone else's story. But here's the good news. Hear me now. As children of God, when we get grafted into God's family, we are grafted into God's story. This is huge. Scripture becomes our script. This book is our backstory, and our lives become the rest of the story. You are the only Bible some people will ever read. The question really is, is your life a good translation? Here's how it works. You surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ. You can do that right here, right now. You give the author and perfecter of your faith complete editorial control, and he begins writing his story, history with a hyphen, in you and through you. In Judaism, those who followed a rabbi had four responsibilities. First, they would memorize his words. That's how we get the Gospels. The second responsibility is adopting the rabbi's unique interpretation of scripture. It's called the rabbi's yoke. The third responsibility is imitating the rabbi's way of life. I'll come back to that one in just a minute. The fourth responsibility was discipling others the way you were discipled. It's Paul saying, follow me as I follow Christ. Now, let me get back to that third responsibility, imitating. 
This is one key to habit formation. There is a form of acting called method acting, and it involves taking extreme measures to get into character. It's the thing of legends in Hollywood. Dustin Hoffman went three days without sleep to prep for a scene in Marathon Man. Meryl Streep learned Polish and German for Sophie's Choice. Christian Bale lost 60 pounds to play an emaciated insomniac. Jamie Foxx glued his eyes shut to play Ray Charles. Leonardo DiCaprio slept in an animal carcass while filming The Revenant. Discipleship is method acting. It's taking our cues from Jesus. We love Jesus. We think like Jesus. We pray like Jesus. We treat people like Jesus did. Do that long enough and you become like him, which is the ultimate goal of discipleship, to be like Jesus. I have a simple theory of spiritual maturity. When you first encounter a verse of scripture, it's nothing more than a theory. You have to test that theory. How? By putting it into practice. Then that theory becomes your testimony. Maturity is testing God's word. Maturity is the theory becoming our testimony. I'll give you an example. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 19, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbid in heaven. Some of your translations might say the word bind and loose. These expressions forbid and forbidden, bind and loose were common in Jewish legal phraseology, meaning to declare something forbidden or to declare it aloud. We've been given a tremendous authority, but we have to exercise it. Now, I want to be very, very careful here. Every prayer has to pass a twofold litmus test. It has to be the will of God and for the glory of God. Anything less, anything else is a non-starter. God is not a genie in a bottle, and our wish is not his command. Prayer is not outlining our agenda to God. It's getting into God's word and God's presence and letting God outline his agenda to us. This is your script. This is our script, beloved. We are method actors. The theory becomes reality, and when it does, it becomes our testimony. Know your name. Fix your focus and change your story. Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. Today is the time to flip the script. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.